Mike asked me to come and speak, and this is a talk I've given at a few different places because I just think, uh, thank you very much, it's one of the most underrated, important passages in all the Bible. I really do think this is one of the most important passages in the Bible. <clears throat> so if you've got your Bible when you get it, uh, find Matthew chapter 25. I'll read it in a moment. I'm going to introduce it before we read it. So Matthew chapter 25. What page have we got there? Page 995. Page 995. And we're going to look at this parable that says the sheep and the goats. Come on to that in a minute. Now, I don't know about you if you've ever had um, a recurring dream as an adult. I, don't, I never remember my dreams. But there is one dream that I've had more than once. And I know other people who have had the same dream, so maybe you've had it. And it's about an exam. So for me, I, I can think of the exam that my whole, when I was at school, again, wood panelled walls, same, same as the one we meet in, actually. And there you are, there's banks of those individual desks and you're all sat there and you're all a bit tense and you've got your little pencil case and your protractor or whatever those things are and your pen. And then the examiner says, uh, turn your paper over. And you turn the paper over and you look at the question and you think, oh no, I've not revised that one. And it's that really big, deep sinking feeling, oh no can't do it. Has anyone, put your hands up, have you ever had that dream? Oh, not many, okay, well, a few people have. I, I've had that a few times. I'm sure those of you who are psychologists can tell me afterwards what that means about my psyche, that I've had that dream. The reason I tell that story in a, in a slightly silly way is that everyone in this room still has a big exam ahead of you. We all do. We were just singing about it. Because one day, the Lord Jesus is going to return. Everyone will be raised. And everyone will have to stand before him for judgment. It's a big exam, a massive exam. And on that day, when you face the exam of your life, when you turn the exam paper over, you want to know what's on the paper before you get there. I mean, the idea of teachers throughout the year, they're supposed to help you know what the syllabus is, so that when you get to the exam, you know exactly what's on it. Not like my dream. Do you know what's going to be on the exam of your life? It's going to be the most important day of your entire existence. And on this exam paper, there's just one question. There's only one question on the exam paper of your life. And you've got your whole of your life to revise for it. Here's my question for you. Do you know what the question is on the exam of your life? You really need to know it because when it gets there, you don't want to be turning the paper over and going, oh no, I'm not revised for this. You need to know. That's why this is really important. This is really, really important. I'm going to read the passage. Now, let me just give you some context before we read it. Matthew's Gospel is um, it's very rigid. In, oh, rigid is not the right word, but it's very clear in its sections. It's got very clear sections in it. And this section is the Olivet Discourse on the Mount of Olives. And it starts at the beginning of chapter 25, where Jesus and his disciples are on the Mount of Olives, it says there in verse 3. 
And they're going, look at that temple, isn't it amazing? And Jesus says to them, that temple is going to be destroyed within a generation. And these are the signs and things you should look out for, for when this temple gets destroyed. Because Jerusalem and the Jews will be judged for rejecting their Messiah. But he weaves that in, that, that kind of destruction of Jerusalem, which did happen, AD 70, with the second coming of, well, when he comes back. When all people will be judged, not just the Jews, but all the nations will have to stand before him. And he tells these parables. At the end of chapter 24, from uh, verse 36 onwards, there's all these little parables. And, and the, the, the key phrase he keeps using, say there is in verse 42. Can you look at that? 24, 42, it says, keep watch. Keep watch. If you can stick my next slide up, actually. Um, there's, a, there's a picture I've got there. They are. You've got to keep watch. You've got, got to be looking out. He gives the metaphor in this section. There's lots of little parables of a, of a thief coming. Got to be, it's like a thief will come in the night. That's when he will return. And that's a very famous parable that both Paul and Peter uses. So it must be well-known saying. When a thief comes, he doesn't sort of say, I'll be there at 12 o'clock next Tuesday. He comes when he comes. So you need to keep watch. You need to be ready. When Jesus returns, I bet your boots, it will be a cold, wet November. You'll be on the bus and you're going to work and you're really oh, tired. It won't be on New Year's Eve or some sort of big day, Millennium Eve or whatever. It'll be a day you don't expect. So you need to be ready, always. You need to keep watch. But then he tells the opposite parable, the parable of the ten virgins. Their problem is that it's not that they're not keeping watch, they're keeping watch. They just weren't ready for the long haul. See, the five virgins that don't have enough oil thought it was going to come back next week. And actually, no, 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 they've got it wrong. So there's, there's this dual balance you've got to keep. He could come back any day, but actually he's going to not come back for a long while. And so as a Christian, you need to be prepared to keep going because it's not going to happen next week. Or maybe it is. <laughs> That's the point. You need to keep watch and be ready for the long haul, both. And then he tells a parable of, the well, it's in the NIV, the bags of gold. In the old NIV, it was the, the, the parable of the talents. And you've got these different servants, and some are given more than others. And when the master returns, he says to those who have made a profit, well done, good and faithful servant, come into your master's happiness. And to the one servant who didn't make a profit with his money, he's cast out. Just like the virgins, the, the bridesmaids that didn't have enough oil were, were left out. And in all these parables, you're thinking, so, okay, so I need to be ready. Well, what does that mean? Be how, do, how do I be ready? What do I have to do? And then he says, well, how do you get ready? Well, you need to make a profit. Give, have a profit for the Lord when he comes back. Okay, okay, make a profit. What does that mean? Make, make a profit in what? What does that mean? And if you could imagine like, a, like a, a camera or like a lens getting sharper and sharper and sharper, finally at the end of this section you get this parable, the sheep and goats, when he couldn't be clearer. He's not talking in vague parables. He hits the nail right on the head. And in this parable you get the answer. What does it mean to make a profit? What does it mean to be ready? Being ready means you've got the exam question the exam of your life, really clear. Do you know what it is? Let me read it and see if you can work out 
what the one question is on the exam of our life. Let me read it from verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the, the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes, and you didn't clothe me. I was ill, and in prison, and you didn't look after me. They also will answer, but Lord, when... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison and didn't help you? And he will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Did you clock the question on the exam paper? Now, what I would like to do now is something that you don't often do in church. Can I get everyone to stand up for a moment? Okay. So I want you to think, um, when is your birthday? Okay. If your birthday is between January and June, what I want you to do is to go and sit on this side of the church... And if your birthday is July to December, I want you to come and sit on this side of church. So I want everyone to, you've got to, you've got to move. So you might, some people might have to stay, some people might have to shift. Just find a chair. <clears throat> Sorry, I might have split some people up there. That might have happened. I apologise for that. Is there enough chairs? I don't know if, if everyone was born in one half of the year or not. Okay, brilliant. Do grab a seat. Thank you very much.
Now, in a slightly silly way, what we've just done there, in a much more serious way, is going to happen on the last day. Because Jesus will separate everybody, everybody, to the left and to the right. And there'll be people on this side looking over there going, oh, look, look who's down the other side. My mum. My pastor. It's my friends from church. Why are they on that side? Why am I on this side? Jesus says in verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. It will be a terrifying day. A day when gentle Jesus, meek and mild, with his sandals and his nice robe that you see in the photos and the paintings, the photos, the paintings, is in his true outfit, in his glory. And it says actually back in, in chapter 24 that from east to west, everyone will see him. Everyone will know him. When Jesus returns, he won't come through a back door. It won't happen in a back room. Everybody in the world will know about this. And he will come and all the nations, verse 32, will be gathered before him, before his throne. The point is, he's the judge. And everybody is subject to his judgment. Everybody. And verse 32, he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left, just as we've just done there. Now, the sheep and the goats metaphor is quite a clever one because when you look at all of these parables in their context they're all people that look the same but actually there's a bit of a difference between them it might be bridesmaids they're all bridesmaids they've all got the same pink dress on but some have got more oil and some don't or it might be servants they all work for the same lord but actually it turns out some have made a profit and others haven't they all look very similar so actually I take this is really aimed at Christians people like us those of us who are Christians, anyway, in the room, and sheep and goats, I mean, they look very similar, they're kind of similar animals, but actually, fundamentally, deep down, there is a DNA difference. They are different. You just don't immediately spot it. Well, not until he returns, anyway, and he goes like that. And then the king will say to those on the right, so just bear with me a moment, I'm just going to speak to these guys for a moment. You're the guys on my right Hi, everyone, on the my right. Good to see you. Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. You've passed the exam. Well done. Well done. But you know what? This is an exam that actually was always... You were always going to pass. Isn't it amazing? It was a kingdom prepared for you since the foundation of the world. You've always been known by him. You've always been chosen by him. He's always known you. 
And when he brought his grace to you, you believed it. You did believe it with all your heart, but it was, it was always set aside for you. And it's an inheritance. You know, the only people that get inheritance are children. You don't have to, you don't have to do anything to be, be an inheritor, do you? You just have to be related to your dad. You know, you can be a right horrible oik and you can have a lovely next door neighbour, but the next door neighbour doesn't inherit anything. However lovely they are, you inherit just because you're a child. And so that means you are children of the living God. He, by grace, has adopted you and made you his people. Since the foundation of the world, since before a molecule existed, you were set for this exam pass. And it's a wonderful kingdom. It said in the previous parable, um, let me just read the previous parable because it's brilliant, isn't it? Verse 21. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Come in. I have so much happiness. God has blessed me, Jesus says. You get to come and share it with me. It's a feast. It's a banquet. It's a party. And it goes on and on forever. And then you lot are kind of, oh, this, is, this is great. Um, uh, Jesus then gives us a reason. And it kind of takes us by surprise, verse 35. For I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you, clothed, you invited me. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was ill, you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And there's this pantomime moment. I love sort of pantomimes. You probably get pantomimes in South End, don't you? That's why I imagine South End is proper panto world, isn't it? You know, it's like, we didn't realise we'd clothed you and fed you and da 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 da. And Jesus says, Verse 38, uh, sorry, verse 40. Truly I tell you, this is the big, the big one. Verse 40. Whatever you did for the one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You did for me. All along, they'd been feeding and clothing and caring for ordinary Christians. It's just what you do when you're a Christian, isn't it? You just help other Christians. You're just kind and good to them. Maybe they're children, maybe they're elderly, maybe they're just anyone. Just did it all the time, that's what I did. And Jesus says, when you did that, you did that for me. Can you imagine the day when you see the Lord Jesus in all his glory? Terrifying, glorious. And he says, you did that for me. And you think, for you what yeah because when you do it for other Christians just like everyone in this room you did it for me have you ever thought that every time you serve on a rota every time you sing a song in the band or give money to the church or help out with the youth group or hand out Bibles or every time you phone up a Christian encourage them or read the Bible one-to-one -one with them, pray for them. You're doing it for Jesus. Because when you become a Christian, here's our Trinity Sunday moment, we are part of the Trinity because when you believe in the Lord Jesus, you're not just a follower of him, you're not just a servant of him, you're not just a lover of him, you become one with him. We, become, we are in Christ, we are one with him. Like a branch is in a vine, like a husband and wife are one. We are one with the Lord Jesus. And so Jesus, that's the way he sees us. 
We don't see each other that way, but that's the way he sees us. And so when we serve and kind and do good and love another Christian, we are doing it for Jesus himself. That's the way he sees it. Just a moment, I need to speak to these guys over here. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So there's a picture of, um, for, for the, sorry, the guys on the right, if you like, come into my master's happiness, come into the banquet. The, the bridesmaids with their oil, the, the ones with enough oil have gone into the banquet. Come with me. And when you come to my kingdom with me, Jesus says, you get all the benefits of my happiness and my glory. Heaven is heaven because Jesus is at the center of it and his life flows to all of it, the abundance and the glory and the joy. It's because Jesus is there. And hell is, depart from me, you who are cursed. So if you can think of all the, the, the glory and joy and abundance that is heaven, it is, it's like blessing with all the curse sucked out. Hell is curse with all the blessing sucked out. We live in a, a world which is a mixture right now. And one day there will be polarity. Curse, blessing, just that. In these parables, he is very, I mean, Jesus, he has a beautiful mouth, but he was very clear about hell. Not because he's trying to manipulate you, but because of love. I mean, if you, if you know something terrible might happen to someone, you tell them. That's what you do if you love them. And so he tells us about what hell will be like. In verse 30, he describes it as a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. When was the last time you heard an adult weeping? It's awful. Hell is a place of weeping. That's the sound you hear when you're in hell. He describes it as a place of darkness. In verse 30. Darkness is terrifying. It's terrifying, hell. If you ever, I had a friend who um, went uh, traveling, he was in the Sahara Desert, traveling with some friends, they were camping out. And in, it's really dark in the, in the, in the night in, in the desert out there. And his friends, as a little joke, um, they woke up at a set time and they moved the tent, kind of only about 30 yards away or something. And he woke up. And for a split moment, he was absolutely terrified because he just literally you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. Um, he told me, hell is a place of terror. And here in this parable that we're looking at, he describes it as a place of fire. That's not just a, a kind of medieval painting. <laughs> That's the way Jesus described it. Verse 41, the eternal fire. So I take it in, in resurrection bodies, everyone is raised, it will hurt a lot. And on and on. Um, how do I put this? Please don't go to hell. I mean that with all my heart. Make sure that you do not go to hell. 
know the answer to this question and live it because it would be awful. It would be so awful if it was anyone in this room that is there. Okay? Take that really seriously. And there's this pantomime thing, tragic pantomime thing, again, where they, he says, you know, I was hungry, you gave, you gave me nothing to eat, I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink, etc. And they, again, in ignorance and stupor, just said, Lord, well, when did I, Lord of glory, I've never, I, I, it, I didn't do this to you, I, I just honestly didn't know. And he'll reply, verse 45, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. So these are people who thought they were sheep, and it turned out they were goats. And it's because they lived their whole lives and they just didn't bother. They thought they could wing it. They thought it didn't matter. I guess they'd all assumed that Jesus was up there in heaven and all you have to do is believe in Jesus. Just as long as you believe that, I'll be fine. I've got to get out of jail free card in my back pocket. And yet without realizing it, they'd spent their whole lives in his very presence because here he is because me, I, and these people here. And we didn't realize it. And if we neglect them, we neglect him. Let me say something very brief about uh, social action because uh, Jesus isn't saying that you shouldn't love everybody. Good Samaritan. You know, you should, you should love everyone. We should be kind and good to anyone we come across. And if that's your heart, then bless you. However, there is also something different about Christians. I don't know if, uh, Becky, you could put up that verse. I've got a verse there. There's a Galatians verse. There it is. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Do you see that? It's a lovely, it's a brilliant balance, that verse, isn't it? Let's be people who want to be kind and do good to all people, but especially to those of the family of believers. I mean, it would be a bit odd, wouldn't it, if you were kind to the old lady down the road but neglected your mum. Everyone would recognise that as a bit odd. And especially so when you read this parable, which is so clear, it couldn't be clearer. What you do for the brothers and sisters, you do for Jesus himself. So don't hear me saying no to social action. Yes to social action but very much, yes, to the brothers and sisters. Now, do you know um, uh, Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens? Do you remember that story? It's got the ghost of Christmas past and the Christmas present and the Christmas future and Scrooge and Bob Cratchit and Tiny Tim, isn't it, I think, if I can remember right? And... um, you know, he has the, the, the ghost of Christmas past comes and shows him what his horrible man he's been, Scrooge. And then there's the ghost of Christmas present and shows him how poor and how miserly and how hard it is for Cratchit and Tiny Tim. But the key one is the ghost of Christmas future. Because the ghost of Christmas future comes and shows Scrooge that the boy's going to die and that when he dies, everyone's going to be really pleased and glad and no one cares about him whatsoever. And it's when he looks in the future, that's when he changes the present. And that's what Jesus is doing here. 
He wants you to imagine that day, the exam day of your life. And he wants you to imagine turning over that exam paper and knowing the right question and going, I've got this. I knew exactly what was going to be on this paper. I've lived my whole life for it. What did you do for me? He said. In other words, what did you do for one of these brothers and sisters of mine? That's the one question on the paper. It's the only one. Let me tell you some of the questions that are not on the exam paper. You know when teachers do that, it's really helpful, so you know you're not to revise that. Let me just tell you what not to revise, because it's not on the paper. Okay? Your marital status will be irrelevant. Do you know, if you, if you end up being single for all of your life, it won't matter. You'll get to the exam and you'll go, oh, good. It wasn't even on the paper. It's actually okay. Children. Do you know, some people don't have children and it's a real pain. It's really hard. It really hurts. But do you know what? On the last day, it's not on the exam of your life. Or how amazing your kids are. You know, some of us, it's I've got kids and, you know, oh, they've got to get the education and they've got to be you know, the England cricket captain and they've got to be, you know, all these different things. We've got to shut them to all these different things to make them these super-duper kids. That's the thing to... And do you know what? It's not on the paper. It's just not on the exam. Or your status at work. I don't know if your job's like this. A lot of people's jobs now are a bit like the army. You, you know exactly what your grading system is, what your rank level is. And everyone knows who's this grade and who's this grade. And oh no, she's younger than me and she's at that grade and I'm dead. And there's all, do you know what? On the last day in that exam of your life, he won't ask you what grade system you're at in your job. Do you know what? If you cleaned lose for the whole of your life, that will be totally fine because it's just not on the paper. How good looking you are, how popular you are, it's just, it's just not on there. How good you are at music or sports or languages or all those things that we've learned. How many PhDs you've got. How many knighthoods you have. It's just not on there. You realise, you will realise one day that all that stuff, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Don't hear me being negative. But you'll just realise that wasn't actually what the exam of my life is about. That's not what my life is for. It actually didn't matter, all that stuff. However many countries you saw, or great experiences you had or didn't have, you could live your entire life and never leave South End. And you'd probably be depressed about that. And actually you realise on the exam of your life, oh good, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Who cares if I didn't get to Thailand or wherever, the Bahamas. It doesn't matter how much money you have. There's only one question on the exam of your life. So let me ask you, what are you working so hard for in your life? What is the drive that drives you? What gets you up in the morning? And what hurts because you haven't got it and you haven't done it?
Now look, the vicar is supposed to say this sort of stuff, isn't he? Do lots of good stuff at church for other Christians. That's what the vicar is supposed to say. What's great about coming to someone else's church is I can say this and I've got no conscience issues whatsoever. Harder to say in my own church. But let me encourage you, what, whatever you do, and there's a great line in Matthew 10, isn't it? Whatever, if you give even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, you'll by no means lose your reward. Hand out cold water after church, okay? Because when you give a cup of cold water, whatever tiny thing you do for another person that is a Christian, because they're a Christian, because they're one of Jesus's, you literally do for Jesus. The ghost of Christmas future says, what did you do for me? What will you say? What will your answer be? Let me throw out a couple of applications. Three, actually, and then we'll finish. Here's one. Serving. There'll be some people in this church who are exhausted because you're on five rotors every week and um, you don't know which one it will be and you're just exhausted and you're tired. Your children's rotor and music and all these things. I've got people like that in my church. Tired of getting early and tired of being at other meetings. It's just... It's, it's, oh. and, you, and if you're like me, you can begin to resent it if you're not sometimes... Oh. And you just forget, I just, what I love about this parable, it just reminds me. It reminds me what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. This is 100% worth it. Every cup of cold water is worth it. Because I'm, it's not just because I've got to do it because it's my job, because I'm, I'm on a rotor. I'm doing it for that person there or that person there because they are Jesus. They are one with him. He thinks this is me. And so it's so worth it. Those late hours when you're staying up late preparing the next children's talk or whatever you do for people. Or those prayers you pray for people that no one will see. Or, that, or every penny that you give for the kingdom of God that no one will know about. You'll be so glad you did all of that. Every bit of it. I know it's hard. I find it hard. It's a joy sometimes, but it's also hard. But I'm doing it because I love my Lord and it's worth it. I'll be so glad of it. That's serving. Secondly, let me say something about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are gifts by the Holy Spirit given to every Christian so that we can serve other Christians with love. That's what spiritual gifts are for. And everybody has spiritual gifts. Everybody has ways in which you're really good at serving. Now, I think we should all serve as much as we can and love with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength, love all of our neighbours as ourselves in every way we possibly can in this place. But there might be some ways, or there are some ways, in which you're particularly gifted by the Spirit to be really good at serving other people. I think my question to, be, to you would be, do you know what your spiritual gifts are? You have them. Do you know what they are? Maximise those. Do those things. Maybe you've forgotten what they are. And if you don't know what they are, find out. Do a, one of them surveys or ask your wife or your dad or your friend or, or ask your people in your small group. Find out. Pray about it. And do them. Some people have speaking gifts. Some people are prayers or evangelists or prophets or teachers. If that's you, then make it a thing that you do a lot for the good of others. Some people, it's serving gifts. It might be mercy or 
financial giving or, or helping people or hospitality. If that's you, praise the Lord. Those are brilliant gifts. Do them with all your heart. You'll be so glad you did. And whatever you do, do it with all the energy that Jesus gives. And finally, and let me just say something about prayer. Prayer's the easy one. Do you pray for each other? I don't just mean at the end of your small group, you know, oh, what can I pray for this week? And then pray for your church. Pray for your pastor. Pray for the sick. We've heard some prayers earlier. Pray for those who are needy. Pray for those who are spiritually down. Pray for those who are young. Pray for those who are old. Pray for each other. Pray for Christians around the world. Pray for those who are suffering or persecuted. Get up and pray in the morning. Brothers and sisters, um, on the last day, when we come to face Jesus, we have an exam. And when you turn that page over, there's only one question on it. Are you ready for it? Or are you going to be like me with my dream and go, oh no, I've revised the wrong thing. And the question is, what did you do for me? In other words, what did you do for my brothers and sisters? Now, you can begin to answer that question as soon as this service finishes. You can turn to someone and encourage them or pray with them, build them up, prophesy to them over coffee. Or you can scuttle off home. And I, and I think my prayer for you, my challenge to you, and my challenge to me as well is this. Will I live the whole of my life with all of my passion, with everything I have, serving the Lord Jesus by serving his people? Why don't we have just a time of quiet and, and I'll, I'll give you a chance just to pray however you feel you need to in the quiet of your own heart to the Lord. Our dear Lord Jesus, we are your humble servants. Thank you for your amazing grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which you've saved us, by which you've called us to be your servants and to be one with you and to be your children in one sense, to have this wonderful inheritance. You are so gracious, you are so abundant. All your goodness, thank you so much. We want to serve you, Lord Jesus. We really want to serve you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength. And we cannot wait, just like those servants did, to see you when you come back and hear from your mouth, well done, 
Well done, good and faithful servant. We want to serve you. And so please forgive us where we have failed. (laughs) Forgive us where we've been selfish. Forgive us where we've thought of ourselves. Give us opportunities. Holy Spirit, give us gifts and more gifts so that we can serve your people with, with all the time and energy that we've got. Give us opportunities. Holy Spirit, work in us a desire to love and to want to help humbly everyone that we know, particularly those here. And I pray, Father God, in your grace, therefore, that you would build up this church so that it would be a place known in the whole of South End as a place of love, a place of unity, a place of encouragement, a place where people live for one another, for the good of each other, because they love their Lord. And Lord Jesus, we, we know our own hearts, we know our own selfishness and our own lusts and our own laziness. Please stir up in us that love by your spirit so that we might be a people of love, 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 just like you. We want to be like you. So that on that great day, on that great day we will see you and we will be so glad to see you because we've been living our whole lives serving you and longing for your return. Thank you so much for these words, we pray. Lord Jesus, you are so good to us. Amen. Amen.